0: When it comes down to it, that's the kind of compassion. That's the kind of kindness. That's the kind of self-sacrificing love that Jesus Christ brought to earth on that first Christmas. And that's a kindness, and that's a compassion, and that's a love that he's called us to have as well. Especially that love. Would you agree with me if I were to say that most Americans don't understand love? Even if you don't agree with me, I'm going to say it anyways. Most Americans do not understand love. When we talk about two people falling in love, we don't understand love. Because love, true love, can't be fallen into. When we have spouses left and right that will tell their wife or their husband, I don't love you anymore. They don't understand love because love is not something that gets turned on or off accidentally like a switch. Love is something much deeper. Love is a choice. Love is something that transcends difficult circumstances or how annoying that person is in front of you. And that's the kind of love, Jesus' kind of love, that He brought on Christmas and the kind of love we're going to talk about today as we open God's Word together. Does that sound good? calling this message today, Love Has... Come. Would you pray with me? Lord, I just pray that as we open your word and our minds and our hearts are stretched to understand and grasp what your true love really is like, help us, Lord, to just soak it in more than we like to admit we've been tainted by our culture's definition of love. We've been tainted, Lord, by poor examples of how to love a family member or a friend or even a perfect stranger. So, Lord, I pray that as we open your pure, unadulterated word, that you would reveal to us and mold us and shape us so that we can grasp and begin living out your pure, faultless, unadulterated love as we live in this world. Until that day comes that you call us home to heaven, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, turn to the person next to you and say, it's going to be a good one today. Do you believe it? Well, good, I do too. Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 17, verse 26. Uh, We always encourage you to have a Bible with you on a Sunday morning. If you didn't bring one, you can grab one of the blue ones from the rack in front of you. It's also a good idea to grab the message notes from the bulletin you were handed on the way in. That will have some of the main points of today's message there, and a few blanks for you to fill in along the way. So I hope you'll have those message notes with a pen or pencil, and your Bibles open in John 17, verse 26. Now, I'm sure that many of you remember that there are three main words in the Greek language that are often translated by the same one English word, love. First of all, there's the Greek word eros. This is the word from which we get our English word erotic, erotic. Uh, Eros in the Greek language refers to a romantic kind of love. Interestingly, this Greek word for love isn't found at all in the New Testament. But if you look outside the New Testament to the other ancient Greek documents, it's a very commonly used word to the Greek people that eros love uh, was such a, a huge part of their life and their culture. And so first there's eros. Secondly, there's phileo. Phileo is a different kind of love, even though it's translated by that same English word, love. In the Greek language, phileo tended to be used as kind of a brotherly love or a friendship love. It was a love between two that had an established relationship, and they were able to express a friendship or family kind of love to each other. That word phileo is used a number of times in the New Testament. And then finally, there's this third Greek word, agape which in a sense is kind of the opposite of eros. Eros is used a lot outside the Bible, but not used at all in the New Testament. This word agape is used hundreds of times in the New Testament, but hardly used at all outside of the Bible. It wasn't used much in popular Greek society and in other ancient Greek writings. This word that's rarely used, agape, is a higher form of love that the New Testament latches onto as the best word to describe God's love and Jesus' love. It's a self-sacrificing love that is a much higher form of love than either eros or phileo. You see, eros, eros sets its sights on someone who you are attracted to. Someone you are attracted to, you might give them Eros kind of love. But agape love does not discriminate between someone you think is hot and someone you think is not. Know what I mean? Agape doesn't discriminate like Eros discriminates. Phileo love is directed at someone you have an established personal relationship with and someone you even like. Well, that's a family member. That's a a friend, someone you care to to be around, someone you want to spend time with. But agape love does not discriminate between someone you know well and someone you don't know well. And agape love doesn't discriminate between someone you like and someone you can't stand. Agape love is an equal opportunity kind of love. Do you see why agape love is the highest form of love called out in the New Testament? It's no wonder that the word is found in the New Testament some 320 times in reference to God, the Father's love for Jesus. And it's used of God's love for people. It's used of Christ's love for his church. And it's no wonder that when Jesus commands us to love one another, he doesn't use the word eros. He doesn't use the word phileo. He says, I want you to agape love one another. If you want to read an accurate definition of a Greek word that's used in the New Testament, one of the best places to go is to look at Vine's Expository Dictionary. That's a fancy way of saying you look up the English word that you do know, and it'll tell you the Greek word that was originally used in the Greek New Testament that was translated as that English word you're looking up. And so I went to Vine's dictionary this last week. I simply looked up the word love. You don't need to be able to read or speak Greek to use this dictionary. Just look up that English word love, and it lets you know those Greek words that are translated as love. And so the first one it calls out is none other than agape. And I looked at that definition that Vine gave of agape, and this is a wonderful little definition I want to share with you. Vine says agape is the attitude of God toward his Son. The human race and to believers in Christ to convey his will to his children concerning their attitude toward one another and toward all men. Agape expresses the essential nature of God and it had its perfect expression among men in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what I'd like to do over the next few minutes is break down this definition and look at its individual pieces And I think it provides a wonderful outline of some of those different verses we find about God's agape love called out in the New Testament. So let's start with the first part of that definition. Agape love is something God the Father shared toward His Son, God the Son, Jesus Christ, And so that's why I have you in John 17, verse 26. Let's go ahead and put it on the screen. Most of you have it in the Bibles in front of you. Let's go ahead and read this together if you have your Bible with you, especially if you've got the NIV there. That's the one I'll be reading out of today. John 17, verse 26 says this, reading together, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself, May be in them. It's a great verse. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I may set by myself may be in them. Now the Trinity is one of the hardest biblical teachings to, to wrap our minds around. Would you agree with that? It's hard for us here on earth with these peanut brains of ours to understand the Trinity. But the Bible is crystal clear that there is only one God, but our one God expresses himself and exists in three different persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Bible is clear that the the Father is 100% God, but the Father isn't 100% of God. And the Bible is clear that the Son is 100% God, but the Son, Jesus, is not 100% of God. And the Bible is clear that the Holy Spirit is God, but the Holy Spirit is not 100% of God. Is that as clear as mud? Oh, sure. We can wrap our minds around that. No problem. Well, let me give you something I found this last week that may help. I call this the Trinity Fidget Spinner. Remember the Fidget Spinner? Two or three years ago, you know, every kid in America was just doing this constantly. And it's like, you know what, if that's supposed to help you focus It ain't working for the rest of us that are watching you to spin this thing for seven hours straight. And so these fidget spinners were so popular, but I saw this image. What a great image to help us wrap our minds around the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, our triune God. And so the Father is not the Son or the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father or the Son, but all together in one person they are God. And so maybe that helps, maybe it doesn't, but this is an image that helped me start to kind of get an idea of what this Trinity must be like. Now, I believe the main reason Jesus repeatedly calls God his Father in the New Testament and repeatedly refers to himself as the Son is that so we could come to a closer understanding of what this love within the Trinity must be like. There's this intense love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because we only serve one God. How could there be this intense love within one person? The Bible says it's because there's three persons. But I thought you said there was only one God. There is only one God. And so how do we wrap our minds around the Father's intense love for the Son and the Son's intense love for the Father? I think that's one of the reasons Jesus gave the prodigal Son parable you remember the story in Luke chapter 15 a a man has two sons and the younger son says I know dad you're not dead yet but I want my inheritance the father relents he says okay he gives his younger son his share of the inheritance his share of the estate and the kid stays for maybe a few days maybe a few weeks but then he gets his newfound fortune together and he takes off for a distant country and he's in that distant country and he's blowing all of his dad's money on prostitutes, on loose women, and on booze. And eventually he runs out of money, and when he runs out of money, he runs out of friends. And so he's there feeding pigs, and he decides, you know what, I'm going to go home to my dad because at least I'll get three square meals going home to my father. And I'll just humble myself before him and tell him I blew it, and I don't want to be your son anymore. I just want to be your slave. Just let me be your slave. And so he goes home, and as he's cresting the hill, his dad's like on the porch, and he sees him in the distance, and his dad has this gut-wrenching compassion for his son, and he sprints down that dirt road. He runs for his son and when he reaches him he puts his arms around his son and he kisses him and he hugs him and he accepts him back into his family and Jesus says that's what agape love is like and that story between that father who loved his son no matter how wretched his son had been to him no matter the fact that that son had been a traitor to his dad He'd been a turncoat. He'd he'd run away from his dad with his dad's money. It didn't matter. The father still loved him. There was nothing that son could do to strip his dad of that agape love for his son. And Jesus wants us to know that gives you an idea of the love between the Father in heaven and the Son of God. That's agape love. That's agape love. Take another look at John 17, 26. Jesus says, Father... By the way, this is the end of the longest prayer of Jesus recorded in the New Testament, probably just minutes away from being arrested there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays this prayer and he ends with verse 26 at the end of this long prayer. Father, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself... May be in them. This is such a beautiful thing that Jesus prays here. He basically says this. Father, I know that you love me more than life itself. And I have so badly wanted to share your amazing love for me with them. So I have taught them about you. And I have shown them through my actions what you are like, O Father. And as they've taken it all in, they've taken in your love too. And as they've taken in your love, they've taken in my love. Isn't Jesus awesome? Everything I taught them, everything I demonstrated for them through my actions and through my priorities was to show them your love and show them your character, God. Because I want them to know agape love in the sin-cursed, tainted world that they live in that doesn't understand love in this culture they live in where they're talking about Eros and talking about Phileo, but don't understand Agape, all that I've done, I wanted them to show. I wanted to show them the love between us, O Father, so that they could understand true love. One of the most beautiful truths about the one true God is that within Him there are three persons expressing perfect, pure love, one for another, and that perfect, pure love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit touched down on that first Christmas. Amen? Second part of that definition. Vine points out that agape is the attitude of God the Father toward his Son, but it's also his attitude toward the human race. It's his attitude toward toward people. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 you were just in John the fourth book in the New Testament Romans is the sixth book in the New Testament Romans chapter 5 starting in verse 6 we'll get to that in just a moment most of us are familiar with John 316 it's one of the most quoted verses in the whole Bible where the love of God is so clearly stated, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 does such a beautiful job summarizing the love of God for people. He loved us so much that He sent His one and only Son. And, And that should blow our minds based on what we just talked about regarding how much the Father loves the Son. He loves him more than life itself, yet he sacrificed him because of his love for you and me. Let me ask you, which is a nicer place, heaven or earth? You shouldn't bat an eye answering that one. Which is a nicer place, heaven or earth? Okay, do you all agree? I'm not so sure about that, Pastor. Well, let me put your mind at ease. Heaven is a whole lot better, amen? It's a whole lot better. This last Tuesday, early in the morning, one of our loved church members, Teresa Summerlin, breathed her last. And when we found that out, many of us found it out that morning. A few others found out in the day or two after. As we found that out, man, our hearts just dropped. And we were crushed and we couldn't imagine not coming into this room and not seeing Teresa sitting over on that right side. And our hearts dropped, but then for many of us, things began to change over the hours that we were processing or passing. You see, for the last five months or so, she's been in her bed and couldn't even stand up. Teresa was in terrible health. Surgeons wouldn't perform a surgery that she badly needed. And so Teresa, as we began to think about what had happened that morning, we began to realize that for the first time in years, Teresa can stand and she can jump and she can dance and she doesn't have any pain and she doesn't have any hospitals. You look at this woman we miss dearly, but you look at the difference between earth and heaven for her. Praise God there is a place called heaven. Praise God she no longer has to be in a hospital bed. Praise God that she no longer has to have nurses come over daily to treat her wounds. Thank God that she has never had it better because heaven is so much better than earth. There is no doubt about it. Heaven is so much better. And so you think about this. Jesus Christ was in paradise. He was an absolute paradise in the most beautiful place in the universe, in the presence of Father God. No sin, no murder, no rape, no illness, no hospital, no disease, no cancer. He's in perfect paradise. And his Father, who loved him more than life itself, said, Son, I need to send you down to earth. And Jesus said, I'm going. You got it. And as much as the Father loved the Son, and as gorgeous and beautiful as that paradise of heaven was, Jesus Christ came. And He didn't just come into a palace, He came into a stable. And His first crib was a manger, a feeding trough for oxen and sheep. What a remarkable thing. That heaven that we long for so much, that we want to go to someday, He left it to come to be with us on Christmas. What an amazing Savior we serve. Amen? He left absolute paradise to come down to adelanto I mean, to Bethlehem. What an amazing God we serve. Imagine having enough money to send your entire family on a two-week, all-expense-paid vacation to anywhere on earth. Where would that be, do you think? Bahamas? Oftentimes I ask this question, some will say Hawaii. They go Honolulu or Maui. Any takers for the French Riviera or Paris? <laughs> well, we know Peggy doesn't want to go to, to France. Where else? Where? Philippines? Your husband's hometown. Rio would be fun. Imagine having the money you've saved up for 10 years, and you can send your entire family to Hawaii, or to the Bahamas, or to the Philippines, or to Rio. Rio! We're going to go on an all-expense-paid vacation. It's going to be amazing. And right before you decide to tell your family, you have a little bit of a change of heart. And so here's how your announcement goes to your family. I want you guys to know that I've been saving up for 10 years to send all of us on a full, all-expense-paid vacation to Rio, to the Bahamas, or to Hawaii. Isn't that cool? I've saved up for 10 years so we can do that, but I changed my mind on the destination, and you guys are going to love it. Instead of going to the Bahamas, we're going to spend two weeks in two different places. Instead of going to the Bahamas, catch this, our first week, we're going to Barstow, baby. And then after a week, all expense paid vacation to Barstow, second week, you're going to love this too, we're going to Watts. It's going to be awesome. You you think maybe there's an outside chance your, your family might be just a tad bit disappointed? You had the opportunity to go to the Bahamas and you're going to Barstow? You could have gone to Rio and you're going to Watts? What on earth are you thinking? Now, wrap your mind around this little nugget of truth. The difference between a vacation in the Bahamas and a vacation in Barstow is much smaller than the difference between heaven and earth. And yet Jesus walked away from heaven to come down here. Make no mistake about it, what Jesus did on that first Christmas was absolutely incredible. And why did he do it? Because God so loved the world. Romans 5, 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. These verses are absolutely amazing. In this world of ours, you'll find plenty of people who are willing to sacrifice themselves for their family, for their spouse, for their friends. But for a complete stranger, you won't find many people who will do that. It's pretty rare. For an enemy that spits in your face, be hard-pressed to find a single person who would be willing to sacrifice themselves for that guy. But Jesus more than anyone else who has ever lived, demonstrated that beautiful, powerful, self-sacrificing kind of agape love for you and me, even though we were enemies of God. We were helpless. We were hopeless. We were rebels rebelling against the God who had given us our very lives. Day after day as we sinned, we spit in His face. The one who had been so good to us, And after all of that, Jesus still loved us enough to die for us and to sacrifice the Bahamas for Watts, to sacrifice Rio for Barstow, because he loved us so much. One last passage I want to share with you today. It's 1 John 4, verses 8-10. through I think we have the verses on the screen, don't we? I want you to look at these great verses here. Whoever does not love Does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. Any guess what those next three blanks are? (laughs) Agape every time. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. As I remind you fairly often, according to the Bible, the greatest characteristic of God is God's holiness. This holiness. To be holy means to be set apart. God is completely set apart from everything in creation. Everything in the universe was created except for God Himself. The only thing in the universe that was not created, it's God Himself. God is completely set apart from all sin and from all evil and all rebellion. He is completely set apart from weakness and from failure. God truly is a holy God. Amen. And so holiness is the number one characteristic of God. But I believe the Bible makes the case that agape love is the number one expression of God's holiness. It's the number one expression of His holiness. God the Father loved God the Son more than life itself, but because He also loved you and me and the rest of this world more than life itself, He couldn't bear the thought of all of us spending an eternity in hell. Because He loved this world so much, He sacrificed His one and only Son so that you and I could be forgiven and live. What an amazing God we serve. There should be no doubt in our minds, God is love, and love touched down on that first Christmas. And the Father has an intense love for the Son, and the Father, according to that definition of agape, has an intense love for the world, for people. And then thirdly, God has a deep desire for His followers, for Jesus' sons and daughters, to have an intense love for people as well. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. I think I told you a moment ago that was going to be your last verse. I lied. One more verse I want you to turn to. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. Most of you probably remember the two greatest commands from the Old Testament. Jesus was asked during his ministry, what's the greatest command? In the Old Testament law, of all those 613 commands of Moses, which is the greatest? And you probably remember Jesus responded by saying, Agape, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He says, That's the greatest command in the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he says, I'll even give you the second most important command it's to agape, love your neighbor. As yourself. So, based on what we've learned today about agape love, the greatest command in the Old Testament, according to Jesus, is to do whatever you have to do at whatever cost to yourself to bring joy to God forever. Would you accept that that's a legitimate paraphrase of the greatest command? Do whatever you have to do at whatever cost to yourself to bring joy to God forever. And if you accept that as a legitimate paraphrase of the greatest command, how is this for the second greatest command to love your neighbor as yourself? Jesus is in essence saying, do whatever you have to do at whatever cost to yourself to help people have an all-satisfying relationship with Jesus forever. I don't know about you, but when I first read that paraphrase by Pastor John Piper, man, that just struck me. And it still does every time that I read it. To do whatever I have to do, whatever cost to myself, to help people have an all-satisfying relationship with Jesus forever. This definition makes or this paraphrase makes perfect sense because think about it. If the Bible is true that heaven is absolute paradise, and Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and at the same time Jesus is the best part of heaven then there is no other logical conclusion we can come to. The most loving thing we could ever do for any single person on earth is to introduce them to Jesus Christ and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ, both now and for eternity. It's the most loving thing we could ever do because the heaven is only provided by Jesus. And the greatest part of heaven is Jesus. So the best way we could ever love someone with a true agape love is to help them Deepen in their relationship with Jesus and find their joy in Him forever. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. Jesus made it crystal clear in the New Testament that he wants us to agape love our fellow Christians. He wants us to do whatever we have to do at whatever cost to ourselves to help other Christians have an all-satisfying relationship with Jesus forever. But true agape love never stops at the church door, does it? The best way we could love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ is to help each other develop a deepening relationship with a Jesus Christ that loves them more than life itself, to help them grow in their walk with Him forever. But the most loving thing we could do outside the four door, two doors of the church building would be to help introduce others to Christ and help them deepen in that same walk and to love Him and enjoy Jesus Christ forever. In John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus said, A new command I give you. Agape love one another as I have agape loved you, so you must also agape love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you agape love one another. Before Jesus came to earth on that first Christmas, there were definite glimmers of agape love in this world. You can see it at times in King David. You can see it at times in Moses You can see it at times in Daniel or in Jeremiah. And some of those great heroes of our faith, Esther, you can see agape love at times. You'll see these glimmers of agape in the Old Testament. But until Jesus touched down on that first Christmas, until he touched down a pure, unadulterated, complete form of agape, had never touched down on earth until Jesus touched down. And never before was there a servant of God who not only had agape love above them in heaven, but agape love right in front of them and agape love filling them. But isn't that exactly what we all get to enjoy as Jesus Christ followers? Isn't that exactly what we get to enjoy? The Father in heaven, we have agape love above us that we are praying to and we're connected to and communicating with. And because Jesus is the one who we follow, He is our master, He is our teacher. We are hot on His heels, and so we have agape love right in front of us. And we are hot on the heels of agape love. And because Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to fill every single believer and follower of Jesus Christ, we have agape love living inside of us. Never before in the history of the world, before Jesus came on Christmas, were followers of God able to enjoy the luxury that you and I get to enjoy every day. Agape love above us. Agape love in front of us. Agape love within us. That's the joy and blessing we get to experience as followers of Jesus. Many of you remember that chorus. As best as I can tell, it was written about 50 years ago, back in the 1960s. Many of you remember the tune. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know that we are Christians by our love. These words were coming to my mind, resonating in my mind. I was thinking about this point here that Jesus says, that's how they'll know that you follow me. There's a love that you have for other Christians that is unlike any love that the world has ever experienced. There's a love in families unlike any love the world has ever experienced. There's a love for those that annoy us and drive us up the wall that the world has never experienced before. Agape love touched down on that first Christmas. And Jesus Christ has imparted that agape love to you and me to share with this world. I want to give you three life lessons in closing that we can draw from This lesson about God's agape love. Lesson number one. As there is indescribable love within the Trinity, there must be indescribable love within our Christian marriages and families and church. As there is indescribable agape love within the the Trinity between Father and Son and Holy Spirit, God in His Word is making it clear, I am setting an example for you of the agape love that you must have in your own relationships. So once again, as the world looks at our marriages, there should be a qualitative difference in the love that Christian husbands have for their wives. A qualitative difference in that kind of love than the love the world is used to outside the church. The Christian marriage should be the example to the world of what a loving marriage looks like. That makes sense, doesn't it? But so often we forget that it's not simply about me being happy, but it's about that we have a watching world that's looking at our marriage. And among other things, we need to be cognizant that this watching world is making conclusions about Jesus Christ based on how they see me treat my wife and how we see ourselves treating each other within the four walls of our own homes. The world is looking to see how Christians treat each other in our times of need. Do we turn our backs on each other? When we get a little annoying with each other, do we walk away and write each other off? Or do we have this daunting kind of love, this unsatiating kind of love, this undampable kind of love where no matter how annoying we are to each other and no matter how much we drive each other up the wall, we're going to love each other anyway. And I love it when someone has been away from this church for a while and comes back and says, man, I was blown away that they accepted me as if I was never gone. And I've definitely heard that more than once, folks. And the way that so many of you love on those that for one reason or another are away from church for a week or a month or even a year, some cases longer than that, welcoming back with loving open arms, it's a beautiful thing. We must love like Jesus loves in our marriages and our families and in our church. Lesson number two, although heaven was so much better than earth, God's agape love for lost and dying people compelled him to sacrifice his own comfort for others' good. As we follow in his footsteps, we must do the same. Sacrifice his own comfort for others' good, we must do the same. Glenn is heading up uh, Thursdays at the local warming shelter in Victorville, and I'm just so proud of him and his team. Many of you have been helping out each week, and he told me that first week wasn't so bad, but the second week they walked into that room and just the stench, that was coming from that room as homeless people had been in there for over a week at that point, every single night. It was palatable. It was sticking to their clothes. And they keep coming back for more. How can Glenn do that? How can Frank, Marley, Lacey, all our volunteers, Nathan, how can they come back week after week? Because Jesus Christ has called them to do it. And as He has loved them in all their stinkiness, They can certainly love others in their stinkiness. We had a team of our teenagers that took a chunk out of their comfortable Saturday. They took a chunk out of their comfortable day off yesterday, and they went down to that warming shelter, and they transported the cots over to a church that is going to be housing the homeless this weekend at nighttime as the temperatures dip because the fairgrounds was occupied this weekend. I'm so thankful and appreciative of our teenagers that sacrifice the comfort of their day to go be a blessing to the homeless. And these are just two quick examples, two small examples of so many ways that so many of you in this church sacrifice your comfort and you sacrifice your ease to be a blessing to others and share the love that Jesus Christ shared with you. And finally number 3. You would do well to make this your new motto. I do whatever I have to do at whatever cost to myself to help people have an all-satisfying relationship with Jesus forever. Wouldn't this be a wonderful epitaph, the end of your life? Wouldn't this be a wonderful thing for someone to say as they eulogize you, you know what, he had his issues. You know what? She wasn't a perfect Christian, but this I can say with absolute certainty. He did everything he could, everything within his power, and made whatever sacrifice he or she could in order to help others have an all-satisfying relationship with Jesus forever. That Christian's life was about Jesus. And as they enter heaven, they will without a doubt hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. As I have loved you, so also you loved one another. Father, we thank you for demonstrating that intense love for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for demonstrating that intense agape love for the Father and for a fallen and broken world. And as you've left us here on earth, filled with the agape love-filled Holy Spirit, I pray, O God, that we would take that agape love-filled Holy Spirit inside us and allow that agape love to pour forth from our words, from our touch, from our actions. Lord, help us to show this hurting world what true agape love is like so they can experience it, many of them for the first time, experience that love that they desperately need. Lord Jesus, be with us as we carry on that legacy of love. In Jesus' name.